Thank you, Jeff and Bridget, for leading us. Um, I hope you're ready for what God's got in store. If you haven't been with us in a couple weeks, I know this is uh, vacation season. We have a lot of family uh, and friends out and about and traveling. And we've been going through the temptations as found in Scripture, the temptations of Jesus Christ. Let me be more specific about that. Um, and we've been looking out of primarily the Gospel of Matthew. So if you have your Bible with you, I want to encourage you to make your way to Matthew chapter 4. You can also find the writings of the temptation, recording of the temptations in Luke chapter 4. Um, we saw several weeks ago that the recordings are not in the same order. Um, that is not a discrepancy on the writer's part. It is uh, to give us an emphasis that these temptations are not become harder or stronger upon one another, that all, temptations are all temptations. If we are not tempted, then it's not a temptation. And so it, it is really for the way the writers, Luke and Matthew, both led by the Spirit, were to write the temptations, to give it to their particular audience. We saw how Jesus immediately came out of the waters of baptism, was proclaimed by God from the heavens that you are my beloved son. And as he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and became to this weak human state, um, and his human nature was being fully brought out as he felt hunger, uh, Satan then came, uh, deeming him to be in a weakened state to, to begin the temptations. But Jesus was led there by God. Another important thing we've drawn out is God did not tempt Jesus, but he allowed the situation to have, just as God allows temptations to come in our life. Um, and the, the thing about temptations is the goal is to pull or entice us away from the presence of God, away from his, our relationship with Him, away from His will, away from His purpose. And so Satan has come and attacked those very things in Jesus' life. First question is identity. If you are the Son of God, Satan will come and question our identity. Are you really a Christian? Can you really call yourself a Christian if you do that? Satan likes to bring those attacks. He comes and makes us question God's faithfulness and God's love and whether we can trust God. You know, if God really loved you, if you threw yourself down, wouldn't He catch you? And, and, he, and he allows to manipulate Scripture for his own way. Satan knows Scripture. We have to be aware of that. And he's using individuals in our world today that seem to come across by using Scripture, but they take it either out of context or they, or they take things out of Scripture. Um, Satan did that when he came to tempt Jesus. We're in our fourth and final week of this series, and we'll move on to another one next week. The common feature of each and every temptation, as we'll see again this morning, is Satan, our enemy... The adversary has come to taunt. He's come to doubt. He's come to uh, allow doubt to, to breed in the hearts and the minds of people. And that is what he's aiming to do here with Jesus. But as we see in Scripture, Jesus does not fall to the temptations. He was tempted in every way that we are tempted, yet he overcame so he could be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's what makes Jesus perfect. And just because Satan is going to leave at this particular moment in time in dealing with these three temptations, it does not mean that he's going to leave Jesus alone. If you read throughout the Gospels, you see that he reveals himself through individuals. At one particular time, he reveals himself through Peter. And Jesus has to say, get behind me, Satan, to Peter. Um, he reveals himself through Pharisees. He reveals himself through Sadducees and even the Jewish people. And so Satan, just because we overcome in temptation, doesn't mean Satan's going to back off. Um, it just means he's going to gather around and, and then come at us maybe in a different way. Uh, we are now in the final temptation. We're going to begin in verse 8. And we're going to be reading through verse 11 this morning. And then we're going to kind of uh, walk this out and see how this plays out in our life. Verse 8 begins, Again the devil took him, that is Jesus, to a very high mountain 
and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, I will give you all of these things if, there's his magic word, if you will fall down and worship me. Verse 10, Jesus told him, go away, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. And then the devil left him and the angels came and began to serve him. I want us to see something that has happened in each one of these temptations uh, along with the if. In the very first temptation, Jesus was in the wilderness and he was hungry and the temptation was turn these stones to bread. In the second temptation, the, the devil took Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple in Jerusalem, the place of worship, and asked him to, to throw himself down. In this final temptation, he takes Jesus to a place called a very high mountain. It's not really specific about where this is. Um, some people can guess, but Scripture doesn't want, need us to know that. What we need to understand is that each one of these temptations, Satan had a particular arena he took Jesus to in order for the temptations to come. And how this relates to us is there are certain places, there are certain people, there are certain situations that come into your life that cause you to be tempted more than any other situation. For example, you may have a relationship with an individual that causes you to be tempted to do things outside the will of God and what God wants you to do in a relationship with somebody, and, and so you're tempted in that. There are certain uh, places you may go and certain people you just may hang out with that bring temptations easier than other situations in your life. For some of you, and for, for me sometimes, it's just the fact of being alone. And being alone, temptations come because your mind can begin to wonder. Some of us, we may struggle with being alone and, and going to sites on the internet that we shouldn't go to. We may be alone and we may begin watching commercials and thinking we need to buy stuff. There are so many people in this world that watch late night TV that try to sell things and they buy those things in order to find fulfillment. For some of us, it's just certain hobbies. When we get around a certain hobby or certain activity, we are tempted to do something that we should not be doing because it's not the will of God. You see, Satan knows things that cause a trigger in our mind that want us to lead us into sin. And so what we have to be aware of is certain places, certain situations, certain people are going to bring higher forms of temptation in our life than other situations. The way this played out in my own life, when I came back to Christ, I have a prodigal son type of testimony. I came back to Christ when I was about 19 years of age. I was at a conference in, in Glorieta, New Mexico, a college conference, and I felt God just kind of smack me over the head with a baseball bat. It's about the best way I can describe it. I came back to my current situation and I understood that if I continued to hang out with the people that I had been hanging out with, my, my high school buddies, my middle school buddies, my football buddies, my athlete buddies, if I continued to put myself in that situation, I would fall into the temptations that had put me in a very bad spot with God. And so I had to make a very difficult decision. It's a decision that some people are not willing to make. But I understood if I continued to hang out with these people, I would go right back to the place where I was. And so I decided I had to cut some ties. It's not because I didn't like the people. I love them. I still pray for them. I still keep in contact with them. But I understood that if I was there, I would not do what God wanted me to do. And so I cut ties. And for some of them, it really hurt their feelings. They didn't understand why Mike didn't come and hang out with us anymore. Why wasn't Mike going to the bars with us anymore? Why wasn't Mike partying with us anymore? Why wasn't he going on these late night country drives with us anymore? They didn't understand it. I basically said, I just can't do it right now, guys. I'm not strong enough. 
And so what we need to realize in those situations with those people and in those, rela- in those relationships and in those particular places, we have to recognize those things that cause us to sin easily than others. Not only do we have to recognize them, but we have to flee from them. We have to begin to cut them out of our life. And it's difficult. It's hard. I get that. It's going to be a wrestling match. And sometimes we're going to fall back into it. But we have to get it out of our life for the sake of godliness. You see, Satan wants to steal, kill, and destroy you. And so he wants to pull you away from the will of God and the word of God by enticing you to do something you know you shouldn't do, but for some reason you keep going back to it. So what some people call a habitual sin. You need to recognize, okay, these are the things that are triggering this. This is what is leading me to this situation. It's, it's the lies maybe the world is telling me. It's, it's this feeling inside that is brought on by this situation. It's the regrets I have in my life. It's the people in that situation that has caused me to give birth to this sin and not be where God wants me to be. And then I have this, this, this zapping of joy. We have to recognize There are things in each and every one of our lives that pull us from God. And when God reveals those things and we recognize those things, we need to make every effort to flee, to get away. And it may not seem like, oh, it's just not that big of a deal. But if you know where that road is going to take you each and every time, why do we keep going back to it? God has called us into a different life. He has set us apart. He has sanctified us for his holiness, to be godly, to be a light like we we were singing about. And so that's going to cause us to have to make some decisions in our life. What do I value more? Do I value where God wants me to be or do I value this? And the scary answer to that question, if I value something more than where God wants me to be or what God wants me to be doing, then that ultimately is my God. That is what I'm serving. That is what I am worshiping. Satan brings Jesus to this high mountain. I believe it's not told us the specific mountain peak or name. is because temptations can come at any place and at any time. But if you notice, he brings his favorite word, if. You see, we live in the world of if. That's where we live. Satan comes if, 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 and God has his ifs too. And so we live in this world where we have to make a decision which road I'm going to go on. One of my favorite poems is by Robert Frost. It's called The Road Less Traveled. And it basically comes down to speaking about, you know, I have chosen the road less traveled and that has made all the difference. Jesus said a similar statement in that we are called to walk a narrow path. The wide is the path that leads to destruction, but we're called to walk the narrow path that leads to life. And so we're in this wrestling match, this world and this battle of if, if I'm going to be obedient to God or if I'm going to fall to the temptations that Satan brings in my life. It's an if. What am I going to do? If you do this, this will happen. If you do that, that will happen. The if reality is, is Satan cannot make you or I do anything. Satan made me do it is not a biblical statement. It's not. If Satan could make you or I sin, then we would not be guilty of sin. And that's exactly what Satan wants us to be in our guilt of sin before a holy God. The other reality is, is God won't make you do anything. 
Satan can't, God won't. God wants you and I to willfully, free will, willfully choose him. And so we're stuck in this if. If I do this, this could happen. If I do this, this could happen. And what we find in each decision when it comes to an if, there's always a consequence or reaction. Satan's if is built upon preconditions. But if we see here in Scripture, the ifs of Satan are all false promises. They come with no authority. They come with no power. They only offer a false hope and only leave a momentary fulfillment. Here in the final temptation, it says that the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their splendor. And if we use the entirety of Scripture and we look in the Gospel of Luke, in the same temptation in Luke chapter 4, verse 5, Luke adds this point, that it was the kingdoms of the world and all their splendor in a moment in time. What that means is that what Jesus saw was this moment in time, meaning it was not going to be an eternal reign. And here's the reality that Satan was bringing before Jesus. Jesus' purpose was to live a perfect life so he could die for our sins on the cross. He would rise again that we could be forgiven. And the scripture says because he did that, he now sits at the right hand of God. And one day, every tongue will confess and every knee will bow of all the kingdoms of all the earth and all their splendor will bow before Jesus and confess him as Lord. Here's the temptation. Temptation is, okay, Jesus, you can go through all this, this pain and this suffering and all that God has put before you, or I'll give it all to you right now. You can have it right now. You won't have to go, you won't have to put the work in. You don't have to, all, all you've got to do is bow down right now and I'll give you everything you see. But it's a moment in time. Because every kingdom, every power, every splendor we know in this world will eventually fade. It'll eventually pass away. But Jesus has to make a decision. Am I going to take this so I don't have to endure the persecution? I don't have to endure the cross and the torment and the torture. I don't have to endure the betrayal. I don't have to endure the heartbreak. I don't have to endure being forsaken I can take this right now and take an easy way out. See, that's what temptations do. Is they come and they bring an easy way out. God's word never promises that living a godly life or living for God is going to be easy. Matter of fact, it's promised you will be persecuted if you do it. And where we get is when we start living in God, like, okay, I'm going to do this. God, this is what you told me to do. This is what I should be doing. I'm going to walk by faith. I'm going to follow your lead. I'm going to trust you because you're God. And when we start doing that, you know what? It's going to get tough. You're going to have friends and people in your life who say, why are you doing that? You're going to have thoughts in your head of doubt. Why am I doing this? Is this actually doing anything? And Satan will come and give you this temptation really that big of a deal? Is it, is it really making that big of a difference? Is it really going to hurt anything if you just, you know, just take a break for a while? I put it in the world of, of dieting and exercising. Um, about six years ago, Jamie and I did this detox diet. 
And it was basically like two shakes a day and you got to eat food, but not really food you wanted to eat. And so for 30 days, yeah, it sounds glorious, doesn't it? But I agreed to it. So for 30 days, I gave up coffee and they said, well, by the first week, you'll lose your coffee headache. That is not true. That is the words of Satan himself. Um, that does not happen. Um, 30 days, we did like two shakes a day and we were having like a low carb meal or I don't even know if we were allowed to have carbs. I don't remember it. It was just that much joy. But I lost like 30 pounds in 30 days. And looking back at the pictures, you know, I didn't look healthy. Matter of fact, the particular individual said I looked very unhealthy and I, I was just, I was really skinny, um, but an unhealthy type of skinny. And so... Since that time, I've really struggled. I've always been one of those that just struggled with my weight. That goes back to my problems as an eighth grader being so big and so tall at the same time. And, and uh, I've always wanted to be a person in shape and a person who watches and takes care of this body God has given me. I don't always do it well. And so for about five years since we finished that detox, I've slowly developed bad habits of eating and things like that. So I think about three weeks ago, Jamie brought this little plan to me. Say, hey, why don't we do this together? She'd already been exercising. She knew I was complaining about, you know, my fabulous swimsuit body and stuff like that. And, um, and so we started doing it. And uh, the first week, I actually gained weight. You know, if you've ever gone on a diet and started exercising, that is the most frustrating thing. <laughs> Because I'm thinking, I'm not eating what I want to eat, when I want to eat. I want some greasy stuff in my mouth, and I'm eating this good stuff, and I'm actually exercising now, and I gain weight. I, I was better off just doing what I was doing before. I was at least maintaining. <laughs> but, see, this is what happens when we start living a godly life. Is we start, and we're so, we're, we're in it. We're, we're plugged in. This is what God wants me to do. I'm going to follow him. And then we start hitting these road bumps these speed bumps, these things that, why am I doing, if this is the outcome, why am I doing that? Well, luckily, Jamie said, well, you know, we're, we just want to be healthy. We want to keep pushing on. And so I kept with it and, and, it, and I've seen improvements and things like that. And that's the same thing when it goes with living a godly life. We work out our faith with fear and trembling. We, we, we get closer and closer to God. We, we draw closer to Him, and He continues to transform us. You know what? If God made you the person He needs you to be right off the bat, He gives you a spirit, yes, He gives you salvation, but if He completely molded you into the person He fully needed you to be right off the bat, you and I would freak out. Nowhere in Scripture does God give someone, except Jesus, the full plan. There's a reason for that. Because if we knew the full plan, you know what we would do? Pfft, no way. You think Moses would have signed up if he would have known he had been walking around for 40 years in the desert with complaining people? You think Noah would have signed on if he would have realized, holy cow, I'm going to be stuck in this boat with these animals and my kids? I mean, there's no way out. I mean, if you have kids, you understand. You get in the house, you're like, you're thankful for Nana and Papa to come every now and then, Right? Can you think people in the Bible would sign on if they knew the full detail of what was going to happen to be in God's will? You think David would be like, yeah, I'll be the next king as long as I can run for my life for a good portion of it, as long as my kids turn against me? Yeah, that sounds great. Sign me up. No, God is not going to give you or I the full picture. Because if we saw the full picture and the difficulties and the disciplines and the things that are going to be required to strengthen us in the faith, if we saw all of that, you know what we would do? No way. 
And so God, this is the beauty of God being a relational God as he takes us on this journey with him. And we, we, we live in this battle, in this world of if, if. If I stay where God wants me to be, I'm going to experience life like I've never experienced before. But if I go this way, I may get some momentary fulfillment, but I'm always going to feel this sense of lacking. See, Satan can't give you what God can give you. He can give you the sense of feeling excited, the sense of, oh, oh, that feels so good. That that emotional response, he can give you that. The problem is, no matter what you do to to get that emotional response or that sense of elation in your life, you know what's going to happen? It's eventually going to go away. And what are you going to have to do? You're going to have to go get a refill. And so people in this life, if we just see what's actually happened, people in this life, this is what they're running to be it money or addictions or, or shopping or food or, or just being a sense of being wanted by other people, is that, that emotional response that Satan gives just to give us that fulfillment, and then eventually you bottom out, and what do you got to do? You got to get a refill. But God's promise is that when we are living according to his word and we are allowing the spirit to be inside of us, he gives us joy that is not based upon circumstances. He gives us peace that surpasses all understanding. He gives us the ability to love people despite people sometimes. And it's overflowing. It just comes out of us. But when we choose temptation, When we choose to give birth to sin, what Scripture reveals is we quench the spirit inside of us. We basically say, shut up. (laughs) You turn it off. And I think this is why so many Christians are wrestling with their relationship with God and that feeling of, ah. It's because they keep going back to those places that they easily fall into temptation. God's calling us out of that. He's, as we sang, he's calling us to step out on the waters. What temptations ultimately do, as we see here in Scripture and we see in our life, is they ultimately show us who we're going to rely upon. Satan is calling Jesus out in every one of these things to do something. Self-reliance. To fulfill a need that he has. To to get this sense of acceptance. This sense of being loved. The sense of God actually being in his life. To to manipulate the situation. And that's what temptations call us to do. They call us to rely upon ourselves. But as Christians, from the very beginning, we're called to rely upon God in every single situation. And so when we look at God's ifs, Satan's ifs have no power, no authority. They offer momentary fulfillment. God's ifs come with the full power and authority of the creator of the heavens and the earth. Come with the full power of the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And God's ifs are truth. God's ifs basically call us to come with a state of humility. To humble ourselves. To understand that I don't have it all figured out and I can't do this alone. I need you. And when we come to a place of humility, God transforms that humility into submission. We we begin submitting our lives to God. We begin handing it over to him. Say, God, this is your life. You have bought it in full. It is all yours. And when we place that humility to submission, God transforms us into true worshipers. 
transforms us into people that he wants us to be. But it begins this place that I'm going to say, all right, God, I'm going to humble myself that I may not understand how this is going to play out. I may not understand why this is always going to be difficult. I may not understand how people are going to respond to it, but I'm going to trust you. And so I'm submitting my life to you so you can transform me. You can mold me and shape me, make me into an instrument that is set apart for your righteousness. And then God takes that and he uses ways we can never imagine. Back here in Matthew, Satan's condition is if you will fall down and worship me. And I want us to see a difference from the other temptations. All the other temptations, verse 3, Satan begins, if you are the Son of God. Verse 6 of chapter 4, if you are the Son of God. Satan doesn't bring that this time. The reason he doesn't bring that is because if he were to bring that up, you are the son of God, it would mean that Jesus is loved by God. And since Jesus is God's son, he would therefore love God. So he leaves that out because what does he want Jesus to do? He wants him to fall down and worship, bow down, submit himself, humble himself before the devil and worship him. This is exactly what God wants from you and me. He wants our worship. And worship is not defined by, you know, it's 1030, it's time to worship. It's not defined by whether there's a full band or guitar or even someone leading in song. Worship is a matter of the heart. See, God and Satan are both after your heart because what your heart is, that is what you're going to be devoted to. That is what you're going to love. That's what you're going to focus on. That's what you're going to chase after. So Satan is constantly going after your heart, constantly going after your devotion, constantly going after your worship. Because what does God want? What does he command? Number one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength. That means loving with everything you got. And what is God seeking after? He's seeking after worshipers who worship him in spirit and truth. So what is Satan trying to take? Worshipers. He's trying to take love. He's trying to to take our devotion to God and our love for God and manipulate it so it's loving something that cannot fulfill us. That's the battle of if that we're in. You and I were created to worship. We were created to love God, a God who loves us, and we worship Him because we're simply responding to His love. And so our entire life is going to be this battle of, am I going to love God? Am I going to trust God? Am I going to be obedient? The scripture says that by my obedience to the word of God, I show that I love God. Am I going to do that or am I going to go down that wide path? This is the if we're in. And ultimately it comes down to the matter of our hearts. Where are our hearts? See, God loves you. And he loves me. And he doesn't place his ifs in front of us because, you know, if you do this, then you can be saved. If you do this, then I'll love you. If you do this, then I'll give you my son. No, God already said, he's here. I've done everything for you. It's not by your works. It's not by anything you do. It's by grace. That's why it's grace. But God's if is, now that you know I love you, and now that you've accepted my love for you, will you trust me? Because if you trust me, and if you love me, you respond to my love, I've got great things in store. The reality is, if you don't trust me, 
It's not a matter of your salvation. It's not a matter of, of, of God loving you. If you don't trust me, then all these great things I have in store for you, that's not going to come to fruition. I bring life. He brings death. What are you going to be devoted to? What are you going to love? What's going to be the number one thing, the number one driving force in your life? That's what's put before us this morning when it comes to temptations. Ultimately, God's ifs are a matter of God's good for us. Scripture tells us that when we accept God's love for us, we believe Jesus died for our sins and rose again that we could be completely forgiven. We accept that love for us. We are then called to live a life of love because that shines the Father. It shines our Father. And when we do that, when we, when we go God's if, we humble ourselves and submit ourselves and allow, allow God to lead us, Him to be our good shepherd, when we do that, Scripture says we bear fruit. And the fruit we bear shows what kind of heart we truly have. It shows what we're truly devoted to. So we can call ourselves a Christian. We can go to church our entire life. We can be a member of a church. We can sing songs. We can read the Bible. We can do all of that stuff. But the fruit is how are we living out the love of God in our life? That's what people see. That's what God wants to use you and me for. That we would be ambassadors for Christ, God appealing through us. And what is God appealing through us about? Love. Love. Satan wants Jesus to give him love. Now, coming to these temptations, to wrap it up, being here and walking through this, being tempted is not a sin, okay? Understand that. The sin is when we fall to the temptations, we get pulled to temptations, it gives birth to sin, which brings forth death. As a child of God, someone who has accepted Jesus Christ and has the Holy Spirit inside of me, I and we cannot sin and not feel nothing. It is impossible. If I can continue to live in this sin and, and not feel anything, not feel regret, not feel remorse, not feel like I have to hide it, not feel like I hope nobody finds out about this, not feel like I, I, I need to make sure you know, no one comes into this part of my life. If I, can, if I can do that and I feel nothing, then reality is, here it is, you may have gone to church your whole life, but the reality is the Holy Spirit is not inside of you. Because we cannot sin as children of God and not feel the conviction of that sin. It is impossible. And so if you know you've been living a sinful life and it, it doesn't bother you whatsoever, then you really need to check your salvation. Am I really saved? Do I really have the Spirit of God inside me? Because the Spirit of God would not let the children of God live outside the will of God freely. I will feel guilt. And what sin ultimately is going to do in your life is it's going to separate you from people. 
Because you will, you will begin to alter your relationships with people, and then you will alter your relationship with God. And so what Satan's trying to do is trying to pull you away from God that ultimately you're going to come down to this decision. God will never leave you or forsake you. Once you are saved, you're always saved. But because God loves you, he will still give you the free will and the free choice that you can ultimately, in the end, choose to walk away from your salvation. You can forsake God. And the danger is, in these temptations, is that is exactly Satan's goal. That eventually, you get so tired of feeling convicted. You get so tired of feeling guilty every time you go to church. You get so tired, so tired, that you'll just give up and be done with it. And I've seen this play out over and over and over again in my time in ministry. People just walk away from the faith. And God will let you do that. Because he loves you. So you may be a momentary fulfillment, but the reality, the, the, the big picture is eternity. And so there's no such thing as not a big deal, it's not a big sin. All of its goal is to pull you ultimately away from a Father who loves you, not just in this life, not just for today, but the aim is for eternity. My question this morning is, what have you been loving? People in your life that know you, that you allow in that intimate moment, what do they say that you've been loving? What do they say is the number one thing in your life? What do they say that you're devoted to? Do they see the love of the Father coming out of you? You may be here this morning, and what you ultimately need to hear is that God loves you. He doesn't come to beat you down. He wants to lift you up. This world will beat you down enough. God loves you. He loves you so much that Scripture says that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die for you, to die for me, to die for the entire world because we all sin. We all fall to temptations. We all are going to continue this wrestling match of the ifs. But because God loves us, us and he knows that about us and he knows we can't work out our salvation we can't be good enough we can't go to church enough we can't do enough good things because our our best goodness is a filthy rag before a holy God and God knows that so he sent his perfect son who who overcame these temptations to die in our place he rose again and when we believe that God loves me that much I believe Jesus died for me he took my punishment my blame and he came out of the cross or out of the tomb that I could be completely forgiven when I believe that the bible says I am saved And it's not a matter of what you do. It's not if you clean up your act, you can have it. It's not if you come to church enough, you can have it. It's not if you finish reading the entire Bible, you can have it. It's if you believe this to be true, that God loves me that much and he is for me that much, then I can be saved. And then from that point, I just allow God to do this molding and shaping me into the man or woman he wants me to be. But if you've yet to accept Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, you don't have the spirit of God inside of you you're not saved, you're lost. And you're ultimately heading to the place that Satan knows he's going to end up in. And that is eternity separated from God and eventually no more. But God doesn't want that for you. This can't be a decision your mom or dad, grandma, grandpa, aunt and uncle made for you or can make for you in this moment. It has to be your personal decision. 
I want to be forgiven for my sins. I want to accept God's love for me, and I want to become a child of God. If that's you this morning, I want to lead us in a prayer as our worship team comes up. And if you know you need Jesus, or maybe you know you've been devoting your life to something ungodly and you just need to kneel before the Father, but if you know you need Jesus, I'm going to be down here. Just come and let me know. Pastor Mike, I want Jesus. I want to be saved. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord, that you give us your word to combat these temptations. Thank you, Lord, that you give us the instruction that we should flee the devil. We should run from him. We should, we should submit ourselves to you. Lord, it's hard. You know it's hard. You know we struggle with it. You know our sinful nature inside. And we come before you right now just admitting that we are all sinners. We thank you for the grace and the mercy you've given us. Thank you for the awareness you've given many in this room that, that we can now be saved and we can be declared saints and children of God by our, our faith in you. Father, you know that we as your children, we continue to wrestle just like uh, our brother Paul, that we do things we know we shouldn't do and the things we should do, sometimes we don't do. And, it's, and Father, it's just constant wrestling match. Father, just give us the strength in this time to lay these before you. I know you've made it fully aware to every individual those things that they may be seeking after and running after and loving and devoting their lives to more than you. And Father, you are calling us right now. Are we going to humbly submit ourselves to you and let you do the good work in us that we can't do ourselves to transform us more in your likeness? So Father, give us your children the courage to come and lay these down before you. For you alone are worthy of our praise. You alone are worthy of our worship and our love. Father, I pray for the individual or individuals, Lord, in this room that have come to the reality that they may have just been playing church, playing Christianity, but they haven't really been following you. They haven't really made a personal confession of faith to accept you as their Lord and Savior. They, they've come to the reality that the Spirit of God is not inside of them because they're able to do all these things outside of your will and, and not even bat an eye. Lord, there may be individuals in this room that come to reality that they, they, they need to come to the place where this is the day of their salvation. So Father, I ask in this moment as your spirit just comes upon us, it is welcome here to move in this place and to move us to the place you need us to be, that we can be the great thing that you need us to be, to do the great work you've placed before us to do. Lord, thankful. Thank you that you are faithful despite our unfaithfulness thankful that you are loving you are trustworthy we can trust you in this moment for you have our best in mind come this time response Lord lead us to where we need to be and what needs to be laid down before you thank you for this time in this place praise on your son's name amen Let's stand.